0: Body and welcome back to Pastor Life Podcast. Uh, I am one of your hosts, David Brown. I am a Pinnacle Leadership Associate and the pastor of the Welcome Table here in Rock Hill, South Carolina.
1: And I'm Rhonda Blevins. I'm the pastor of Chapel by the Sea in Clearwater Beach, Florida, and a pinnacle associate and the co-host of Pastor Life Podcast with my friend, David Brown, who is offering the content for this season of Pastor Life that we're calling Holy Experiments, Strategies for Joining God's Mission in the World. David, I know that you've had um, passion about this concept of holy experiments for a while now.
0: Yeah, it's really been something that as I was working with churches around Mark's making the shift process, it really became kind of a central part of what I was thinking about and doing with churches. And so then I've been able to really read and think and um, dive into this topic. And the last two years, I've had the opportunity to teach a doctor of ministry course at Duke Divinity School. And that's really just provided one more. One more opportunity to sort of dive into this content. So, you know, last week we talked a little bit about um, the context for holy experiments. You know, the beginning and the ending. What's our What's the point behind this? And and kind of keeping uh, the telos, uh, the the work of God toward a toward a, a completion, toward making all things new, as uh, as the, the guiding light calls us forward. Uh, And today, we'll talk a little bit about seeing more clearly.
1: Well, I'm looking forward to learning from you in this episode of Pastor Life Podcast, Holy Experiments, Strategy for Joining God's Mission in the World. As we, as we get started today, seeing more clearly, can you kind of tease out a little bit more about what you mean by that?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, so it, it seems to me that before we dive into strategic thinking or strategic doing, um, it's important that we're seeing ourselves and seeing one another and seeing the world as clearly as possible. And with our human brains, that can sometimes be a challenge. And so I, I think that starting with this idea of how can we see as clearly as possible um, what is going on around us and even within us um, is a, a pretty important thing before we actually get into the mechanics of holy experiments or of thinking and doing strategically within the church.
1: That makes sense. I think uh, as individuals, there are stories that we tell ourselves, narratives that we kind of cling to. And as church communities, um, we do the same thing. And so, you know, kind of learning to see what's the story that we're telling ourselves versus what is reality and, and how far apart are those two things. I think that might be really important before really diving into strategy. So as we kind of move into this content a little bit more, um, why don't you, um, you know, maybe set some context for us and help us think um, theologically about this?
0: Yeah, Uh, I would actually probably start with a Bible story. Let's go back to let's go back to the Gospels and this guy named Jesus. And uh, there's a story that I think will be familiar to you and to our listeners uh, from Mark chapter eight. Uh, where Jesus encounters a blind man in a town called Bethsaida. And if you remember this story, it's uh, the story where Jesus takes him aside. Uh, people have asked whether Jesus could heal him, and he takes him aside, and he, he spits, and he rubs saliva on the guy's eyes. And um, in the story uh, from the Gospels, um, the man then can see, But he says, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. And so Jesus gives it a good second try and um, lays his hands on the man's eyes again. And the way that Mark says it, he says, the man looked intently and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Um, So I I think a lot about this, that um, if we're not thinking about our own thinking, and if we're not really paying attention to what we're looking for and what we're seeing in the world, you know, we can kind of be like the man in the story after the first touch of Jesus. You know, we're sort of seeing things, but we're seeing objects. You know, we're not really seeing the full picture. Um, And maybe we're in need of sort of that second touch um, from Jesus. Um, and we can can dive into a little more about what that looks like in terms of what we know about our brains and how they function, and uh, some of the you know the 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 shallow end of the scientific pool that I that I have a little bit of knowledge on. So, uh, but I think that that story from scripture is a great place to start.
1: It's interesting. Um, of course, you know that I've been kind of. <laughs> Neck deep in Enneagram studies over this past year, a couple of years. And, you know, the big work that we do in Enneagram, the Enneagram world, is this noticing, noticing what's happening, what, noticing how we're feeling, thinking, you know, uh, thoughts, feelings, physical sensations, right? And so I think this, there may be a little overlap in what we're talking about in our two worlds, so to speak. This noticing, um, Suzanne Stabile has this acronym she uses, it's called um, SNAP. So hmm. stop, notice, ask, and pivot, huh. SNAP. And so it's, it's kind of the similar to what you're talking about, that congregations, yeah. as we're talking about strategic thinking, should possibly SNAP, stop. Notice, ask, and pivot.
0: That's great. I really love that. I've not, I had not heard that. But what a what a great thing to bring to this conversation. And I think you're right on with the idea that any any tool and uh, or or uh, process for self awareness, for knowing more about ourselves, for for being more mindful or intentional, I think can can really help in this process. Yeah, because the truth is that the way that our brains work is that we are making sense every second of so much material, so much information that's coming at us from the physical world around us. And our minds have to create roadmaps um, or models in order to process all of that and make sense of it. You know, if we were, if we were, um, truly absorbing every detail of the world around us, it would almost paralyze us. Right. And, and so our brains do make these mental maps or heuristics. Um, There's sort of rules of thumb, shorthands that help us to actually deal with all of the information, whether it's about the physical world, whether it's about the person who's standing in front of us or some sort of relational uh, interchange that's happening. Or even whether it's something that's going on within our own body, you know, like our brains don't um, fixate on the fact that our heart needs to beat again in a second. Um, So we are constantly creating these mental maps of the world. And then we're using those maps to see and interpret the things that we encounter from day to
1: day. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think of the old hymn, open our eyes, Lord. (laughs) I want to see Jesus. Is that how it Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Well, and I mean, when you think about it, how often does Jesus say something about um, how how are you... you know, there's the blind leading the blind or there's the blind person who sees more clearly than the Pharisees, Uh, you know, and Jesus is always talking about those who have eyes to to see and ears to hear. And well, don't all of us have eyes (laughs) and don't all of us have ears? But Jesus is saying something about the intentionality behind what we see and the, the care that we take or um, the, the fact that we stop and notice. Uh, and I think you see that in other places in scripture too. You know, two of my favorite stories about um, this sort of thing are um, Moses's call narrative, uh, where he sees the burning bush, the bush that's burning but not being consumed. Right. And I've always sort of wondered, you know, how many people passed by that bush and just thought, oh, it's it's another wildfire. Yeah. Um, but Moses stopped and noticed that the bush wasn't being consumed. And that became the window into God's uh, call on his life. Um, You know, the wise men, the magi are kind of that way. How many people uh, had the opportunity to notice a new star on the horizon? Um, But they stopped and noticed and acted, right? So, uh, So I think this first step of, you know, if our minds are constantly mapping out the world uh, and then using those maps to interpret the world, then we really run into problems if our maps are incorrect. Um, right.
1: <laughs>
0: and so one thing that, that you know, I would say we can remind ourselves of is that, number one, the map is not the territory. Uh, The map is not the territory. And so, you know, if you were going out for a hike and you have a trail guide and it's a a topographical map, you can look at that topographical map and you can have an idea of how the trail is going to wind. You can have an idea of how close or far away from water you're going to be. You can even have an idea if you get used to using that kind of a map of what the elevation change is going to be. And you can can look at those topographical lines and almost imagine mountains or valleys. But the map, no matter how well we understand the map, is not the territory itself. It can't substitute for walking through the woods. Right. Right. So I, I, I think if if we understand that we're making these mental models and that sometimes those models can mislead us, they can oversimplify. They can cause us to ignore certain things. Um, They can cause us to only see the things we want to see. Um, Basically, this is what a cognitive bias is. This is, you know, something that triggers within our processing system that causes us to overlook critical information or to um, not map out the situation correctly, uh, to stereotype or, um, you know, really to, to just misunderstand the world around us.
1: Right. So when it comes to strategic thinking for joining God's mission in the world, yeah, are there like tools, are there, um, certain tried and true ways that we can do this work of stopping and noticing, um, and kind of Making sure the stories that we're telling ourselves are aligning with reality.
0: Yeah, I think um, you've really kind of alluded to one of them already. And I think it's, it's awareness. Um, right. It's, it's having that acronym, that SNAP acronym in your mind. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and really, these are all techniques, I think, for metacognition. You know, okay, yeah. Metacognition is thinking about our thinking. So, you know, typically we would uh, move through life and as human beings, you know, we're, we're constantly thinking and processing, uh, engaging with the world around us, but we're not always thinking about how we think. Right. And so creating space in our life where we're actually accessing our own thinking, our own ways of thinking. Sort of acknowledging that we do, in fact, have these mental models. I think just being aware of them, being aware of their limitations. So this is really about kind of self-awareness, um, thinking about our own thinking and, and trying to be more explicit about the stories that we're telling ourselves. Mm, right. Um, you know, being more conscious of the way that we are viewing the world through a particular lens.
1: It occurs to me that um, maybe in this moment, maybe I'm just slow on the uptake, but um, that metacognition is a psychological way to say the same thing that I've heard spiritual teachers like Richard Rohr, one of my favorites and others, that we engage our inner observer. Oh,
0: yeah. Right?
1: And so, um, yeah, we're engaging the inner observer, which makes us pause, stop and notice um, and so I, I, guess metacognition is a psychological term. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and maybe, yeah.
0: maybe inner awareness or something mm-hmm. like that would be, a, a spiritual or theological, um, cousin or parallel. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So if we're activating metacognition, <laughs> turning on the inner observer, if you will, um, and we're becoming more aware then what?
0: Yeah. So I think another tool in the toolbox uh, is similar to, um, but I think actually extends the idea of metacognition and that's empathy. Mm -hmm. I think empathy is something that we talk, talk more about these days, maybe hear more about these days. But to me, empathy is really cultivating a deeper understanding of other people's thinking and or feeling. Okay. Yeah. Um, So
1: metacognition
0: is really kind of thinking about our own thinking and the, the the maps and models we're making, the stories we're telling, and then empathy would be becoming more aware of the stories other people are telling, right. the lenses through which other people are seeing the world. And um, you know, I think there are a number of different benefits uh, to cultivate, cultivating empathy. You know, I think it it eliminates the gaps in our thinking if we can realize that other people think quite differently from us. Um, I, I don't know, you, you might have something to share on this idea of empathy, but I, I think before I went off to college, I think I mostly thought that everyone's family pretty much functioned the way that my mm-hmm. family did. Right. And then you get a roommate in college and you're spending a lot of time with people who grew up in different spaces and with different stories. And you realize, wow, you know, there are people who experience the world in quite different ways than I did and that my family did.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I had not really thought about the idea of empathy when it comes to to Mm -hmm. strategic thinking, um, particularly when it relates to congregations and groups of people. But when we gather people together in like our consulting work that we do through Pinnacle um, to help them hear and maybe even understand one another's perspectives, that's absolutely engaging empathy that we're we're discovering something and and finding our place of compassion for other people's perspectives and different stories that they tell themselves.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, one of the interesting things that I learned in doing some research around this is that there's some basic level of empathy that is hardwired into all of us as human beings.
1: Um, evolutionarily, I evolutionarily, right? yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no. not
0: not. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we can layer over this sort of a faith story that says, you know, as human beings created in the image of God, we're created for relationship, and you know all of this. But, right. but just from the evolutionary standpoint, mm-hmm. um, as scientists have had tools to sort of map our brain activity, uh, there have been studies that show. You know, when, when I pick up a ball and hold it in my hand, all sorts of neurons start firing in my brain. And they're neur- neurons that are related to, to how what I might do with this ball, how my arm might move, what muscles would be needed to throw the ball, all of those sorts of things. Well, scientists have also found that when I see a person pick up a ball, all the same neurons begin firing in my brain as if I had that ball in my hand.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: And so there is some sort of basic connection, um, some sort of basic understanding that we have of what's going on in another person's thinking and feeling. But the key to this is that that basic level of empathy, I think, has to be trained and nurtured and developed um, empathy for those people who are different from us comes much less naturally than empathy for people who seem more similar to us
1: right i mean it is a developed skill if you will yeah i think um, that's right to i mean yeah to a large degree anyway
0: well, and I think that each of these, you know, when we think about the heuristics that our mind is naturally creating, the mental shortcuts that our, our brain are, are creating for, for good and for ill, um, you know, that, that, that can help us to process everything that's coming our way, but that also may oversimplify or mislead. So our, so our mind is constantly doing that mental mapping naturally. Um, these things, metacognition, empathy, um, these things are, um, are, are things that we can intentionally cultivate Absolutely. That, yeah. uh, that I, that I think can at some level help us to deal with the ways that heuristics and mental models don't let us see as clearly as we could. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I would say this, too, with empathy, um, you know, we say, well, maybe we don't think a lot about empathy when it comes to strategic thinking or doing um, in the world. But empathy has become sort of a key first step for a whole area of thinking called design thinking. Okay. We're going to talk about that in a future epi- episode, this idea of design thinking. But empathy is kind of step one for a design thinker. You're trying to empathize with the person, you know. Say in the business world, you're trying to empathize with the person who will be on the receiving end of your product or service, and that's the starting point for create creativity and design work. So,
1: okay, yeah, interesting.
0: So well, there's one as... other. Okay, uh, well, I was going to say if you if you've got more on empathy, we'll go there. Or there's no, that's one right. other. <laughs> um, so one other tool in the toolbox is creativity. Uh, So creativity, you know, sort of an imaginative spark, um, a spark that would help us to see new possibilities beyond just the models or the stories that we've been given or that we've told ourselves. So I I think we can probably imagine some ways that this uh, connects with our spiritual side as well, right?
1: Yeah, probably. (laughs) I always think um, when we're in our creative best, that that's one of the... In places in our lives, yeah, um, that that's when we can be closest to our Creator. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And it seems like you know a, a central part of our image bearing as human beings um, is this idea of creativity, right? Yeah the yeah. the Creator who created us and invites us to create in our own life and in and in our world. Um, so you know, I think creativity uh, it, it, when, when we practice creativity, um, which I think is not just something we do solo. Uh, it's not just something we do within our own mind or, you know, lock ourselves in a studio or in a garage. Uh, you know, you, you think of, you think of all the, uh, founding stories of, of businesses and things that uh, or, or even inventors, you know, like, uh, you know, Thomas Edison, you know, hold up in some workshop somewhere or, <laughs> um, you know, the, the founders of some new tech uh, venture who are uh, building computers in their garage. Uh, you know, really, I think creativity more often probably happens in community. I think about this podcast, right? When we get on here, you know, we've got different perspectives. We've got different things we bring to the conversation. So, uh, you know, I think creativity is a, a communal spark. Um, it, it's probably not as easy to um, put a finger on as metacognition or empathy even. Um, I think there's something a little mystical about it. Um, there's something that does tie us to our creator. Um, But I do think it's the sort of thing where, you know, there's something inherent in us that is imaginative and creative. And maybe we tend to lose that over time. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts about creativity?
1: Yeah, I was going to kind of mention that um, it seems like imagination is a first cousin to creativity. And the word, um, you know, the root word for imagination is what? Yeah, that's right. Image, right, see, and where we're talking about seeing more clearly. Yeah. In order for us to see more clearly, we have to invoke our imagination and imagine there might be another way to view a situation. Imagine a reality out there in the future somewhere that has not been realized yet, that maybe we can uh, strive toward or even attain. So yeah, yeah. first cousins. What? Yeah. And and, listen, cousins. (laughs)
0: And and so to me, I think in in our first episode, you know, as we were trying to lay the foundation for holy experiments, we talked a lot about the beginning and the ending of our story. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Genesis to maps, you know, those first couple chapters in Genesis, those last couple chapters in Revelation and how it situates us in this in-between space between a a creation that, that God looked at and said was good where God created us human beings as image bearers, um, invited to, to be a part of what God's doing in the world. And then the end point where God makes all things new. And, and so I think that's the, the context in which we do strategy. Um, and, and then I think that seeing more clearly invites us to think about who we are as we do strategy. We are people created in God's image. We are people called to creativity. We are people called to empathy. And if we think more about who we are, if we spend time thinking about the way we think, then we're gonna just see the world more clearly. We're gonna not be sidetracked by those cognitive biases, which we can't really escape, but we can acknowledge. Um, We're gonna know we're not seeing the full picture, And we're going to draw people around us to be a part of the process that will help cover our blind spots. You know, help help us to see collectively
1: more clearly than we can on our own. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, you've inspired me. I I feel my creative juices flowing as you've been talking. I've been thinking about some things happening at my church and uh, some things we're looking forward to. And, um, yeah, so helping my people learn to th- think about thinking. <laughs>
0: yeah, I think it's a good, you know, maybe we don't typically think about that as a role for the pastor, right?
1: Right, um, yeah.
0: And and as we move through this whole series, sometimes strategy is not necessarily the thing that is top of our list as pastoral leaders. Um, right. I think this is an opportunity for us to kind of redefine our role or the way we see ourselves. Maybe the story we're telling about our own way of leading in our congregations. Yeah. Um, so if we as pastors are doing some of this work on metacognition, some of this empathy work, um, thinking about the stories we're telling ourselves, I think it's only natural for us to to be doing that work along with and, and and alongside our congregants as well.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much, David. You've given me some food for thought and things I'll carry with me through the week until we record again. Do you have any final thoughts about seeing more clearly in this holy experiment season?
0: I, I think that we've covered a lot of things that we can put energy and effort toward, you know, some things that we can do um if we think back to that story about the blind man in um Bethsaida, it's jesus's touch that really helps him to see clearly and it takes two touches from jesus right 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 so it's probably a good reminder to us throughout this whole process of of, of thinking strategically uh, about what we do as the church to remember that the touch of jesus is a resource that we have and a transforming force that we have. Um, it's not something we control, uh, but it's something that we can receive and, uh, and that can really uh, transform our own thinking about the world. So
1: yeah,
0: I guess there's a little bit of mystery there. So maybe we're giving people a few things that they can do a few tools in the toolbox. And then maybe a reminder, um, uh, Create space for receiving that second touch from Jesus. Yeah,
1: Yeah, that's good. And sometimes there are times when we're called to offer a second touch as well. Yeah, yep.
0: Second, a third, a fourth. Oh my gosh, right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh,
1: Well, thank you so much, David. Yeah. And thank you for listening to Pastor Life Podcast or watching.
0: And if you would like to engage more with this topic, uh, we are going to have some good notes down in the show notes, um, some links to some of the uh, different articles, scientific background kind of pieces that we've talked about. And uh, you can find that and you can find lots of other information about Pinnacle at our website, which is pinlead.com. That's P-I-N-N-L-E-A-D.com. And I hope you'll engage with us in that way. Uh, Until the next episode, thanks so much for joining us. And Rhonda, it's been a a pleasure to keep uh, tossing these ideas around with you.